Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansee, here with my colleague, Myra Flynn. Hello, Myra. Hi, Angela. Myra, you went somewhere interesting recently. Yeah, I hopped in my car on probably one of the coldest days I've experienced in a while and went to go check out Green Mountain Compost in Williston. And I was trying to be cute here and get a little bit of tape while I was uh, entering the facility and kept getting interrupted by the GPS. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Green Mountain Compost. Local, sustainable... The destination is on your left. Green Mountain Compost. Arrived. Hi there. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm Myra. Oh, sorry. Nice Nice to to meet you. you. So the other voice you're hearing here is Michelle Morris. She was my tour guide for the day, and she's the Director of Marketing and Communications at Chittenden Solid Waste District, which is actually the home of Green Mountain Compost. So here we are at the Williston Drop-Off Center, and let me show you the two containers where we collect those food scraps from our... And I was just so surprised by how huge this place was. It was just so expansive um, and so busy. And the reason I actually went on this tour was thanks to a suggestion from a BLS listener. Yes, this was a a tip to check out the tour that came from Bella Fern, who I spoke to a while back. Of course. Yeah, thank you. This is so exciting. (laughs) And she took herself on this tour at Green Mountain Compost. And I thought it was fascinating. I learned a ton. Bella did this for pleasure in her spare time. She's that into composting. I love growing food, and I really love soil building. It's such a full circle system. She got really into it in college. Bella went to Green Mountain College, a school in Rutland County that shut down in 2019. And I was in the final graduating class there, and a big mission of the school while it was still around was um, sustainability. And so that's kind of what um, sparked my interest and my curiosity around the subject. Fast forward to today, Bella works on climate change issues and is a bit of a composting maven. Friends and family come to her for advice, for managing their backyard piles, and she's not above picking through the communal food scrap bins at her apartment building. So I'll find myself oftentimes taking out my work gloves and putting my arm into the compost, digging things out and thinking, this person had the right intent for sure, but they just didn't have the knowledge that they needed to be able to say, okay, this isn't compostable. Coffee cup lids, stuff like that. And part of the reason this is so top of mind for Bella is because the proper disposal of food scraps is actually required by Vermont law. Act 148, Vermont's universal recycling law, says that you can't throw your food scraps in the trash. That leaves Vermonters with a few options. Backyard composting, if you have space, curbside pickup, if it's available where you live, or bringing your food scraps to your local transfer station. Bella is basically wondering how this is working out. Yeah, so how is the whole state doing? How are individuals doing? 
I know that people really want to do the right thing and people, you know, are excited to be making compost within their gardens. I also know that a lot of people just don't know how to compost. Vermont's universal recycling law was passed back in 2012. It went into effect in phases over several years. First, recycling was banned from the landfill. Then leaf and yard debris, clean wood. The ban on food scraps came last. After years of buildup, it kicked in on July 1st, 2020. Let's just think back to that date for a second. What was top of mind for you in July 2020? My guess is that it was not composting. And for so many reasons, it's probably still not top of mind. So that's where we come in. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. Here on the show, we answer your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people. My name is Bella Fern. I use she, her pronouns. I'm located right now in Burlington, but I do a lot of my composting in South Hero. Bella Fern is today's winning question asker, meaning that her question won in a public voting round, where you, our listeners, choose which question we should tackle next. I am wondering, how is Vermont doing on composting? Are people and businesses really composting all their food scraps? How does this fight climate change? To answer Bella's question, we check out one of the biggest operations in the state. All right, thank come, you. Come put your hand here. My bare hand in yeah, it? Yeah, don't touch it, but just put your hand in there. Oh, it's warm. Right? And one of the smallest. You know, my wife thought, like, it wasn't going to be like a real business. And by the second month, I knew like, okay, like this could really work. And for those of you who need a confidence boost to try backyard composting, we get a pep talk from an urban homestead in the heart of Winooski. It's not that hard. Um, And it's way more accessible than sometimes we might think. We have support from VPR's sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. You might have noticed when Bella Fern asked her question, that she actually squeezed in three questions. How is Vermont doing on composting? Are people and businesses really composting all their food scraps? How does this fight climate change? It's a sneaky and fairly common move by a BLS question asker. I support it. And we're actually going to start with Bella's third question about climate change. Because, and this is also sneaky, but decidedly less common, Bella already knows the gist of the answer. She just wants other people to know it, too. It's a really great way to mitigate some of the larger potential hazards of climate change to compost as opposed to just throw all of our food scraps in the garbage. Composting mitigates climate change. This was one of the reasons Vermont lawmakers unanimously passed Act 148 in the first place. Because sending food to a landfill where it can't break down properly results in the emission of methane. Methane has, I believe it's 80 times the warming capacity of CO2. This is true on the short term. 
And even on the longer term, methane is basically CO2 on steroids. Which is why a United Nations report released last May said that cutting methane is the best way to temper the climate crisis in the coming decades. And lots of methane comes from our waste systems. About a third of our country's methane emissions come from landfills. That's according to the EPA. Hence, composting. Another reason to do it? Bella puts it best. So we throw our food scraps in a bin, we add the brown matter, we turn it, give it water, give it love, and then we're able to grow and create new food out of that. A quick note for all you at-home composters, brown matter is stuff like leaves or wood chips. It's got the carbon to balance out all the nitrogen in the green matter, aka your kitchen scraps. Here's a rule of thumb. You've got to mix brown matter into your pile and occasionally turn it to incorporate oxygen. Otherwise, you too will be a methane producer. People have a lot of what is just food scraps rotting in their compost bin. They don't know that they need to add brown matter, which is like leaves or newspaper, those types of material. And I just think it's one of the more positive and hopeful aspects of fighting climate change. So I'm really passionate because I think it's such a fixable problem. It's such an interesting and fun issue. I can't explain how exciting it is for me to put my beautiful soil into my garden beds and then a couple months later pick out tomatoes that I helped the full process with. When Bella talks about composting, it sounds so easy and fun. And while we were reporting this episode, we did hear from lots of people who feel the same way. But we also heard from people who do not enjoy dealing with their food scraps, or who just straight up aren't following the law, either because they don't want to, or because they say they can't, including several people who got in touch with us on Reddit. Myra, should we read a few of these comments? Yeah, let's do it. First one up, I don't compost. No trash haulers in the NEK even check. I'm not throwing out food waste so I can be overrun with skunks and raccoons. Another overreach by the state. If places like Burlington or Montpelier want to, great. But stay out of my stinking business. Mm. (laughs) All right, here's another. Yes, I do compost, but the raccoons eat it all before it gets to be compost. So, no, I don't compost. And no, I'm not throwing down for an expensive composter that's just going to get wrecked by a bear. (laughs) Lots of animal concerns here. Okay, uh, here's another. I did it for a few months when I could bring my compost to work to get rid of it. But once I changed jobs, I stopped. My landlord doesn't have anything set up and they don't compost. It's not being regulated, so no real incentive to do the extra work of bringing my compost somewhere else. Hmm. Well, more on regulation later. Uh, Final comment. I was given a bucket. After I filled the bucket, I attempted to find some place to empty it and can find none. The trash company won't pick it up and there is no place to put the compost. So I just went back to throwing it out. Sigh. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, when I was taking my tour of Green Mountain Compost, I met Bob Aiken of Essex Center. He composts, but that doesn't mean he has to like it. Oh, it's a pain in the neck. But it is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for I just had such a small amount. Right. But you can't keep it around the house. Because there's no place to put it. You don't want to. Do well, that. if you put it outdoors, you're inviting trouble. Sure. Yeah, I know it's for a good cause, so I'd do it. Okay. What the heck? You know? Yeah. 
If you hear yourself in any of these comments, no judgment from us. We're here for you. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll feel more inspired to figure out a composting plan that works for you. But for now, back to the first part of Bella's question. So our question asker who put us on to this topic, her name is Bella Fern. And she basically asked, how is Vermont doing with composting? How would you answer that question? Uh, I would say as a state, we're doing very, very well. This is Josh Kelly. And I'm the materials management section supervisor within the Department of Environmental Conservation Solid Waste Program. If you're a longtime listener, you may recognize Josh's voice from our 2019 episode about what happens to Vermont's recycling. Yes, yeah. If Vermonters are following the food scrap ban, we'd see an increase in the amount of food waste getting dropped off as compost at our transfer stations. And Josh says that's exactly what's happened, even in the years before the ban kicked in. The data we do get has historically shown year-over-year increases in food waste. There has been one exception. Last year, 2020, the year the food scrap ban went into effect in July, and of course, the first year of COVID. Actually, all our waste went down last year, though compost was down less than trash, which Josh says is a good sign. Keep in mind, this is just 2020. So 2021 is going to have another asterisk on it because COVID has continued. Josh Kelly broke it to me that this annual data he's referencing isn't the most reliable because it doesn't capture everything that's happening with Vermont's waste. For that, we need to wait for the next big waste composition study, which isn't due until 2023. Until then, Josh told me the next best thing is to talk to some people on the ground. Good afternoon, Alison Kenny Solid Waste. I called up a bunch of Vermont's local waste management districts to see what kind of food scrap numbers they've been seeing. I usually talk to Howard when I get a call from you guys. Ah, well, I'm with our show Brave Little State, and it takes me all over the state. So uh, oh, thanks well, for... I love the show. I love the show. Oh, thanks for listening. Um, Didn't you guys do a survey and you're going to do a, a story about um, compost? That's why I'm calling you. Oh, because um, I ended up voting to include that. Well, the question won, and that's what we're working on. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I figured. Compost enthusiast Bob Spencer with the Wyndham Solid Waste Management District had this to report. We have gone in the last five years from 500 cubic yards to 2,000 cubic yards. And we have now reached our permitted capacity. Pretty hardcore evidence. Quadrupled food scraps over five years. Honestly, that was one of the smaller increases I heard about. In 2017, we had 316 tons of organics. And in 2020, that was 7,647, so it had grown dramatically. Wow. Since 2019, we've had our food scrap collection grow by 370%. Whoa. Just in our our location. 2017, we collected 37 tons for the year. In 2020, we collected 62 tons for the year. That's a pretty significant increase from, you know, the past eight years. Yeah, uh, basically five times, more than five times. Yep. That was John Liddy of the Northwest Vermont Solid Waste Management District, and before him, Esther Fishman of the London Dairy Group, Don Maglienti of Addison County Solid Waste District, and Michael Batcher of the Bennington County Solid Waste Alliance. So overall, 
a promising picture. No one is asserting that 100% of Vermonters are now separating their food waste and composting, but there's a sense that we're on a positive trajectory. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out that there's another way to think about these numbers. Yes, sending more banana peels and coffee grounds to compost piles rather than landfills is good. We want those numbers to go up. But food waste? Like stuff that could have been eaten? Ideally, most of it doesn't make it to the compost pile at all. I think even the composters in the state agree, right? We want to reduce the amount of food waste that there is. This is Natasha Duarte, director of the Composting Association of Vermont and chair of the Farm to Plate Food Cycle Coalition. So there's a lot of data out there that characterizes this, but throughout the U.S., the average family of four wastes about $1,500 of food annually. Not only is that a waste of money, it's a waste of all the resources that went into producing that food and getting it to your plate. So composting it is actually the last resort. Natasha Duarte walks me through all the options available before you take that step. First up is, of course, changing your buying and consumption habits so you don't end up with excess. Next, donation, or as some call it, food rescue. If you do have food that you're not going to be eating, whether it's the residential level or businesses, is to get it into the charitable food system if it's still of good enough quality for human consumption. I think that's a really important piece. And I've talked to composters who, you know, they're watching food scraps be tipped at their facilities and it's like perfectly edible food. You know, even though composting is their business, they don't want to see this food ending up at their facility. You know, much better, you know, to share with hungry neighbors. The good news here is that the Vermont Food Bank has seen a big uptick in donations over several years leading up to the 2020 ban. And they do attribute that in part to the ban. Now, Natasha Duarte says if you can't donate your food, another option is to try to connect with a farm that could use it for animal feed. For feeding poultry, for example, allowing hens to graze on compost. And a fourth option that a lot of businesses use is anaerobic digestion, which can take byproducts from processes such as cheesemaking or beer brewing and use that decomposition to produce energy. Speaking of businesses, today's episode is more focused on composting on the individual level, but I want to point everyone's attention to a great piece that Seven Days published recently about a plant that Casella Waste Systems recently brought online. It's designed to process commercial food waste that's still in its packaging. It's worth a read, and we've got a link in our show notes. Anyway, big picture, there are lots of ways to keep food out of the compost pile in a good way. As for the food scraps that do need to decompose, like we said at the top of the episode, Vermonters have options. Backyard piles, maybe some curbside pickup, transfer stations. Yeah. One of the things that I tell people I love about composting is it can be done micro-scaled or really big. For a state like Vermont, I think we need that patchwork approach. You know, what works in Chittenden County is not going to work in the Northeast Kingdom, and so we really need, I think, as many varieties as we can. And But all that variety can also be overwhelming. And part of it has to do with the way this law was written. For example, after pressure from trash haulers, it was amended 
to only require haulers to offer food scrap pickup under certain conditions. They've got to offer collection to non-residential customers and apartment buildings with four or more residential units unless another hauler will provide that service. Confusing, right? Here's Josh Kelly with the state again. So essentially what haulers wanted was, we want the market to work. Let the market figure it out. If somebody else wants to do it, great. Josh says about 70% of Vermont towns do now have the service. But still, that's not total coverage. There's also some confusion about backyard composting. Earlier, we heard from people who don't compost at home because they don't want to attract animals. But to be clear, according to the law, backyard composters are allowed to throw out their meat and bones to avoid this issue. Or you could do what I do. Freeze your bones in a bag and bring them to the transfer station when you bring the rest of your recycling. Because again, your transfer station will take your food scraps, meat and bones included. But what if you don't feel like driving all the way over there? Enter the free market. Josh Kelly says the number of residential haulers in the state has almost quadrupled since Act 148 was enacted. And that's how some people got started, um, a small pickup truck and a trailer, and they're off and running. When it started, I was the only person being like, oh, I'll pick up your compost at your house with a bucket. After the break, from COVID unemployed to compost entrepreneur. It's a really big deal, I, I think, in my own mind. Uh, I was able to, like, geek out a living, working by myself uh, in the middle of the pandemic. That's right after this. Welcome back to Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, we're answering Bella Fern's question about how Vermont is doing with composting, now that keeping food out of the landfill is the law of the land. One outcome of this law has been an increase in residential compost haulers, like this guy. Most of the time when someone calls me, a lot of time it's, hey, I tried doing it on my own. It doesn't work. Um, can I sign up? Zach Kavakis runs Music Mountain Compost, a one-man hauling operation in central Vermont. Just him, his Tacoma, and an eight-foot trailer with buckets in the back. I meet up with Zach one afternoon in December to make a few pickups on his route. Oh, yeah, uh, well, yeah we're in Rochester, uh, out on Corporation Road. It's really snowy right now. I mean, it's, it's beautiful out here. Uh, most of my customers are in this type's area, more rural. Zach grabs a tall bin of food scrap from outside this single-family home and drags it up onto his trailer. He definitely provides a bespoke service. Because a lot of my customers, some of them have physical limitations or they're elderly, so I'll actually go right up to their house and drive out their driveway. I mean, some of them I even have to go inside their house uh, to get the bucket because they can't lift it. Yeah. Um, so I try to accommodate everybody. I think that helps a lot. Yeah. And how many pickups have you done today? Uh, I think I've done 58 pickups today. Mostly residential, picking up five-gallon buckets from people's houses. He also has some business accounts. And he started subcontracting for Grow Compost of Vermont, a much larger outfit in Waterbury. So Grow Compost got bought up by Casellas recently. And because this is such a rural area, um, they didn't want to come down here anymore. So they subcontracted me to do like a supermarket and a restaurant and both the schools in the area. Yeah, so that, I was really surprised when they got a hold of me because uh, I didn't think they knew who I was. And it's cool that, it's cool being able to work with companies such as them versus like being scared of them 
like stomping me out pretty much, yeah. If you can hear pride in Zach's voice, maybe some disbelief, it's because he's never done anything like this before. And he wouldn't have if it weren't for the pandemic. Before COVID, he had a totally different career. I was working at a rehab facility. Um, I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol, so it was something that I wanted to eventually get into. So I'd gotten like my dream job, you know, working at a rehab facility, and I was there about a year and a half, and then COVID hit, I got let go. So I, you know, I was pretty devastated, obviously. Zach was unemployed at home in Stockbridge. In the middle of June, he started reading up on this food scrap ban that was about to kick in. I started doing a little bit of research and I realized like some people actually pick up, you know, residentially and like people pay you to do it. So, I mean, solely based off like, I don't know, a couple of days of research, I bought this trailer with all the money I'd saved from the unemployment. And uh, I started the business July 1st. Uh, I got my permit from the state and basically just started throwing up Facebook posts because I've never advertised anything. So it was kind of a crapshoot. But the response was uh, tremendous. By August, Zach had 200 customers. He was teaching himself as he went and getting guidance from the state. I didn't know anything about nothing. Um, you know, I've had chickens, but I've never made soil before. and I didn't know if people were even going to care about the service. Uh, it's, it's really, it, it can be overwhelming almost. You know, like I feel like so many people had such a bad time in this pandemic. And I feel really like lucky and grateful that that mandate provided an opportunity for me to make a living for, you know, my family. You know? That's amazing. All right, I'll let you do the unloading here. By this point in our interview, Zach has taken me up to his compost pile on the shoulder of Jerusalem Hill. He has an arrangement with an old farm here, the Brown Farm. Here's Stuart Brown, who came out while we were talking. We haven't... Uh been doing it that long, but I'm looking forward to some organic fertilizer for the farm, and he's having a good time with the plenty of room to do his business. So, so it yeah. sounds like a win-win. Yeah, that was kind of what we were aiming for. Nice. Yeah. Now it's time for Zach to dump everything he's collected today. So he gets to work pulling bins out of his trailer. As he works, he manually sorts out any trash. It's usually plastic wrap foil, like little bits of it too. It's never like a whole bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's time to add brown matter, which anyone remember that term from earlier? We put a little bit of like old hay. I have a bunch of bags of leaves, uh, sawdust in that pile. And so basically I dump it, I cover it up with all those three things um, and then we let it sit. And at the end of the week, we push it up into that pile there. Eventually, Zach will be able to bag this compost and sell it. Another operation that sells its compost on a much larger scale is Green Mountain Compost in Williston. At the beginning of this episode, our producer Myra Flynn started telling us about a tour she took there. Here she is again to tell us more. One thing I learned on this tour, if we're talking composting on the largest scale Vermont has to offer, this is the place. You could say in 2021, um, we collected about 1,100 tons of food scraps. That's my tour guide, Michelle Morris. She's Director of Marketing and Communications at Chittenden Solid Waste District, the home of Green Mountain Compost. We met her at the very top of the episode. You'll hear my ice um, leaf from my boots. We're walking through bays of compost, all in various stages of breakdown. 
And some of the sights at this place are both hulking and beautiful, like 12-foot piles of compost broken down and sorted into rows so perfectly, it almost looks like chocolate cake and the snow like powdered sugar sprinkled on top. And it is cold. I'm starting to lose some feeling in my fingers. But Michelle has a solution for that. She brings me to an active composting pile. All right, Thank come, you. Come put your hand here. My bare hand in yeah, it? Yeah, don't touch it, but just put your hand in there. Don't drop your burning mitten. Oh, it's warm. Right? Don't you want to just... I'm like freezing. That feels really good. <laughs> <up in there. laughs> so what degrees is this in here? This is probably around 120. Wow, it's a regular old sauna. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. This is the new uh, sweat lodge. Yeah. Well, it is from, if you were a microbe, it'd be your sauna. So, um, do you see Happy, steaming, feasting, reproducing microbes are compost goals here at this facility. So that's the good part of the tour. The bad part? There's a lot of stuff here that shouldn't be. This is the kind of stuff we don't want, is that um, somebody had some bread or something and they just left the, the plastic wrap around it. And so that is definitely not something you want in food scraps, yeah, plastic. Wh- what are the kinds of things, what, are, what other things do you see in here that you're like, oh man, I just wish people... Well, I saw a piece of styrofoam in there and that definitely is plastic, and we don't want that in here either. I was trying to. Fish Michelle's out. mantra for things you should and shouldn't compost is pretty simple. No, I mean if it was once alive, and now it isn't, <laughs> it can go in to be composted. But otherwise, we don't want it. And when people do try to compost non-compostable things, well. Well, we'll see when we get up to the compost facility. You'll see what happens. Okay. We'll, we'll hold you in suspense until then. Okay. I don't have to wait long to see what she means, because in the next compost bay... Oh, my gosh. What? This is just silverware. What, what is this pile? Look at this. You know that song, so One of These Things is Not Like the Other? This pile is not all happy, steaming microbes. It's full of silverware. Like... Come on, people. We know a lot of that comes from institutional places. Colleges, schools, maybe restaurants. Unlike at a tiny operation like Music Mountain Compost, the compost loads here are just too big to sort through manually. Michelle Morris says that when a load of compost is contaminated, which she says doesn't happen too often, it becomes a total waste of waste because it ends up having to go to the landfill anyway. And a little silverware here or there means broken machinery. Obviously, that's not something we want running through our machinery, or for sure not in your compost that we're selling to people. So silverware is the kind of stuff that ends up at Green Mountain Compost because of people's carelessness. But some of the other stuff that shouldn't be here is here because of people's confusion. I'm talking about the packaging around your food, that seems like it should be compostable, but are you sure it is? Like, really, really sure? One of the problems is um, it has been a little bit of the Wild West out there, and a lot of terms have been thrown around that don't mean anything. Degradable, oxodegradable, biodegradable. This is another message that our question asker Bella really wanted to get at, that a lot of single-use packaging is, quote, greenwashed, in her words, and most people don't understand the difference between that stuff and truly compostable foodware. 
Michelle puts it this way. Compostable is the only term that really is legit in this world. People see a cup in a bin and they assume all cups can go in that bin. And then when it comes to us as a 13-ton load, there's no way we can sort through that and say, oh, this is a legitimate cup, this is a plastic cup, or this is a paper cup lined with plastic, right? Um, By the time this episode comes out, CSWD and Green Mountain Compost will no longer be accepting any type of compostable foodware. Um, the reason we're not accepting foodware, compostable foodware, isn't because that stuff didn't break down properly necessarily. It's because it was a gateway for all kinds of look-alike trash. And we, we started out accepting it because, like others, we're like, oh, that'll help us get more food. And that's our goal. Well, now we're just overwhelmed by it. Ten years later. There's a mix of frustration and compassion in Michelle's voice. My tour showed me that even on a large scale, the best that can be done regarding waste management is only as good as the best that people can do. At the end of the day, Michelle acknowledges that this policy is still new for folks. People are still figuring it out. This is a dynamic our question asker Bella is well aware of. There was this incredible law passed and there was this incredible, you know, policy that was really monumental, but there's still so many loose ends, it feels like, from what I'm seeing to tie up. Um, The people don't have the knowledge, the people don't understand what to do with their food scraps. So I think I would also just love to know what the state is doing to make sure that people and businesses are not only complying with the law, but have the right information to be able to comply with it. So here's the deal. In terms of compliance, so far, no one has gotten in trouble. Not the people who are still trashing their food waste, and not the fork people. I want to be clear to listeners that we're not ripping open residential garbage bags looking for banned items. We don't have the capacity to do that. Again, Josh Kelly with the Department of Environmental Conservation. But we do direct outreach to the largest producers of food waste generally, and we also follow up on complaints that we receive. Do you issue fines? They're possible. Um, They absolutely are. uh, But we have not issued any to date. Again, voluntary compliance is our goal. Um, And I can say we, in 90 plus percent of the cases, we're able to get that. Yeah. Rather than focusing on penalties, Josh says the state is focused on outreach and education. He ticks off a number of campaigns and initiatives. So why does Bella still feel like some people don't have the composting knowledge they need? Has any of your outreach involved, like, trying to contact every single Vermonter? You know, like, have you sent mailers, for example, to the residents of the state? That's a great question. Um, we, We have not sent mailers, but what we have done is worked with our local governments. We have printed, oh gosh, hundreds of flyers and stuff, not mailing them, but usually using them at transfer stations as handouts. We've given discounted grants to our solid waste districts to do home compost bin sales at at about 50% of the cost. So there's been a whole host of effort to get out the word. A lot of the waste experts we talked to for this story compared composting to recycling. Recycling used to seem like a hassle and a fringe practice. Now, for most people, it's second nature. But that kind of culture shift takes time. 
it's a constant effort. And if nobody, I mean, if any, nobody's going to be surprised by my answer here, but COVID has certainly sucked up the news cycle on a lot of things. And so what I want to say to folks, if I can say nothing else, um, send your friends, your professors, your, your employers to vtrecycles.com where they can learn about recycling, about the food waste law. It's all front and center right there. And then check with locally with your solid waste districts. 802recycles.com is the webpage where you can find your town. It's not surprising to me that some people still don't know, but this is a constant process. We need to keep doing it. Um, so call us. We're here. And our number, I'll give it 828-1138 is our number here. We'll be happy to take your calls and questions. If that wasn't enough of a pep talk from Josh Kelly, we're going to wrap up this episode by introducing you to two people who are composting against all odds. They live in a city with all city critters in tow on a fraction of an acre, and their business model is predicated on, well, food and lots of it. This is Conscious Homestead. It's a BIPOC urban farm and homeless retreat here in Winooski. And we do a lot of things uh, that center around community care and mutual aid for BIPOC. So we provide a space for us to convene, to gather, to heal, to connect to the land. Candace Taylor and her partner Tony love to compost and make no bones about what they do with their bones. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> the chickens really are our first line of composting. So they would probably eat 90% of the stuff that we need to compost. Um, they're like piranhas. They just, <laughs> I mean, they'll even take like a Thanksgiving turkey and just strip it to the bone as well. <laughs> like they're crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And their setup is dope. They are right in the heart of Winooski. Looking at the front of their house, you'd have no idea what's going on in their backyard. Back there, they have those crazy chickens, a full-on home composting setup, as well as some advanced composting processes like worms and these alien-looking pitcher plants, which I'd never heard of. They are just a random little fun thing because they also are little composters. <laughs> yeah, these are um, carnivorous plants. So nature is really, really smart. If you look to nature, you'll see how often they do things like composting too. <laughs> so many amazing things come from just the ways in which the planet already inte- intellectually knows how to take care of itself. Um, I think we're the only ones that are struggling and we're like the, supposed to be the smartest ones. So, <laughs> And at Conscious Homestead... Their compost begets more compost. In a land-based, you know, space, we also grow a lot of really beautiful organic food and herbs that we share with the community for free. We did the math and worked out what it took Candace and Tony to get started as composters. A bin, some chickens, a worm farm, and some plants cost them about $200 initially. And Candace more than acknowledges that that number can be a little or a lot, depending on the person. She also says you can do this without spending anything. I also want you to know that you don't need any of that. If you don't, if you want to compost, but you don't have the 50 bucks right now for that structure, that compost bin, you can still compost, have a bucket, bring it down to CSWD. That's free. That's free. You don't even need to buy a fancy bucket that says compost on it. <laughs> you can literally even collect it in a Ziploc bag that you have and put it in the freezer. And then when you're ready, you bring those bags of compost down and you put them in the CSWD. So I want to just also speak to the people out there that are on a budget, (laughs) um, because I know what that's like, um, to know that you can do this and not have to pay any money. So, yes, we compost because all of that does not need to go into the landfill. 
does not need to go into our waters. You know what I mean? That can also then become beautiful soil um, and be a part of creating new life, life for food, you know, life for our plants and things like that. So it's not that hard um, and it's way more accessible than sometimes we might think. Conscious Homestead is impressive, but Candace and Tony don't want you to be intimidated. They want you to be inspired. And in a time where it can feel like our world is falling apart, it's nice to hear this kind of optimism, that there's something good we can do. Um, and that's something that we try to teach a lot here, too, is um, don't all or nothing yourself. Don't all or nothing yourself. Don't say, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that, but I need the full setup, you know, to be able to do that. No. We have to do our part um, in this life to make not only the planet healthier, but our relationships with each other healthier and our relationships with the planet healthier. Um, we can all compost. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Bella Fern for the great question. To see a video of Myra's visits to Conscious Homestead and Green Mountain Compost, check out our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for the BLS newsletter, ask your own question about Vermont, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. You can also say hi on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at BraveStateVT. This episode was reported, produced, and mixed by Myra Flynn and me, with editing from Josh Crane and engineering support from Peter Angish. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Matt Stewart, Christina Askinis, Ham Gillett, Mary O'Brien, Lexi Krupp, Bob Kinzel, Kyle Ambusk, Mike Dunn, and Brian Stevenson. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. If you like our show, please make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.